0: Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. So we're in a series, this is the first week, Uh, Will You Be My Neighbor?, and obviously we just uh, played A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, starring Tom Hanks. And what's interesting is when I was doing some research and I was looking into this film, and when I was looking into Tom Hanks and I was looking into Fred Rogers, who this uh, movie is, is, is uh, kind of depicting uh, his life... Tom Hanks is actually the sixth cousin of Fred Rogers, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, But what I want to talk to you guys about this morning, if you notice the clip, the three-minute clip uh, that was played, um, you know. Uh, Arsenio Hall is a was a nightly television host, and he was kind of a, a prophet in that scene. I know, and, and and what he said was, "It all starts at home." Can we say that together? It all starts at home. So, being a good neighbor starts exactly where you live. It starts in your own home. And I think one of the most important parts of the clip that we just watched was that, uh, you know, Tom Hanks, Fred Rogers, you know, he says the most important part uh, of being a parent is to remember what it was like being a child. And when he said that, um, it really just quickened me the first time that I watched this film. I'm gonna be very vulnerable and transparent with you guys this morning. When I was sitting at the staff meeting a few weeks ago, might've been a month ago, and we were going over over the next, we like to do a three or four month calendar, sometimes six months out to plan where we're going as a church and if we're you know, fulfilling our mission and our vision as New Hope. And they were talking about you know, doing this series, Will You Be My Neighbor and looking at this film. And I can honestly say that in the moment that that was introduced to the staff, that I actually bit my lip because I thought that that was the stupidest idea that we've ever had. And, and I asked him, I was like, are you sure we want to do this? And, and Pastor Tom and Pastor Brenda are like, hey, uh, Pastor Matt, just, just watch the film. And I didn't watch the film. I was disobedient until like five days ago when our pastors are out sick. And Pastor Tom's like, hey, son, you're up. Have you watched the film? I'm like... I'm going to watch the film. And I was honestly hating uh, preaching on this Sunday until I watched the film. And I was in the gym. I was on the art trainer. So don't judge me, please. I wasn't running. I was actually on the stationary machine. And it seems like anytime I'm on a stationary machine, I'm on a treadmill and I'm spending all of my energy going nowhere. It's when God begins to speak with me. And Seriously. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching this film as I'm on this art trainer and I got to this part and I literally had tears coming down my eyes because I started understanding the value of who Mr. Rogers was to a generation. And so if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Kings chapter 16. And I wanna, in, in the backdrop of your mind, as I'm teaching this morning, I want you to consider that Mr. Rogers was a spiritual father, a distant spiritual father to a generation. And I also wanna propose this, that. That Mr. Rogers had the spirit and had the power of Elijah upon his ministry. All right, so let's go to 1 Kings chapter 16. And what we're going to do is we're going to read and we're going to look at the last verse. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho... He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now look at this. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, So what I wanna look at though is I wanna look at the last verse of chapter 16 and then we're gonna read a little bit of chapter 17 and we're gonna read who this Elijah was. Notice a few, just about a minute ago before I read this text, I said that Mr. Rogers, he had the spirit and the power of Elijah upon his life. But what's interesting before is Elijah is even introduced in the Bible. This is the first time he's mentioned in chapter 17. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Kings to talk about what happened to Hale of Bethel's children. You see, when we look at Joshua chapter 6, after Jericho was destroyed... Joshua actually pronounced a curse on whoever would rebuild the city of Jericho. And right here, this is hundreds of years later, we see a man by the name of Hale of Bethel. He decides that I'm going to rebuild this city. And see, what we have to understand about Hebrew boys is they knew the Torah. They knew the word of God. They had known what Joshua had said in chapter six, but it seems seems like this man was not ignorant. It seemed like he didn't care what his building would cost him. And the prophecy was this, that you're going to lay your firstborn son down in the grave at the foundation of the city. And if you keep building, you're going to lose your youngest son at the completion of the gates. And when I read this and then it introduces Elijah, I believe that God began to speak with me because my question to us as a body is, what are we building that's costing the lives of the next generation? I want you to consider something. What if we stop doing everything that God never told us to do in the first place? And see, I think a lot of us, see, provision is great by fathers, Providing for our family is great. That's what the Word of God says we should do. We should provide for our family. But we shouldn't just provide for our family financially. We should tend to the needs of our family, our children, spiritually. And see, what's going on here is this man. See, this just just fascinates me because when he laid his firstborn son in the grave, you would think that he stopped building. You would think that he would have stopped building. But he didn't stop building. He kept building, and he said, well, maybe this is just an exception. Maybe this is just a coincidence. And my question to us this morning is, what we are building, is it costing us the lives of our children? You see, I don't care if we have a congregation of 5,000 people. If our families can't stand us, we're officially failing. I don't care how many millions of dollars a nonprofit brings in. If my wife doesn't want to be in the same room with me, I'm failing. If my children don't want anything to do with God, it doesn't matter what I'm building. It doesn't matter what foundation I'm laying. It doesn't matter what gates that men and women of God are walking through that I'm creating. I'm officially failing at being a father. Elijah comes on the scene. He prophesies to Ahab, and then let's look at verse 17. Elijah chapter 17, verse 17. So Elijah comes on the scene. He prophesies that there's neither going to be any rain according to his word. That always fascinated me because he said according to my word. How much favor and how much... um, Not acceptance you have from God, but how much trust does God have in you that you can prophesy according to your word? That's a place that you can have with God. Elijah had that place. He goes, his first miracle was actually a miracle of provision. He provided for a widow and her son and provided during a time of famine that actually he created. And then 17, look at verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this children's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice. Everyone say voice. voice. Come on, say it again. Say voice. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I love this story. Because the first miracle that Elijah did is a a miracle of provision. And then he goes and he goes to this same house and the son of this widow dies. It says that there was no ruach left in him. There was no breath. There was no spirit left in him. And what's interesting is Elijah went to a fatherless home. Elijah went to a fatherless home. That's what the spirit and the power of Elijah does, is it comes to a fatherless home and it resurrects dead sons back to life. But see, I began to study this because remember, nothing in scripture is coincidence. God, God shows us certain things in the word of God because there's a revelation contained into it. This is more than a miracle miracle. Of resurrection. I began to look at some outside sources and it's sometimes you have to be careful at studying outside sources even if the rabbinical sources if it's not explicitly said in the text. But I began to look at what some of the rabbis were saying about this story who this child was. And see when I began to read some of the rabbis said that this son this nameless son was a name that everyone in this house today would know. Do you want to know the name? Of course. We have one person that's following me this morning. <laughs> R- rabbis say that this son that was resurrected from the dead was the prophet Jonah. Jonah. What if it's true? What if, this w- what if this was Jonah? I looked at the timeline. And you see, Jonah was a ninth century prophet from northern Israel. And see, Israel was divided into two kingdoms at this time. The time fits. And Zarephath, where he went, guess what that was? It was a port city. It was on the water. And see, rabbis also said that Jonah's father, Amittai, was actually a sailor. So it makes sense that this was Jonah. But again, when I begin to read this, I'm like, God, what are you saying about this right here? I understand that it doesn't just say Jonah, but if it is Jonah and the rabbis are right, What do we need to glean from this? What do we need to understand about this? And I believe what God wants us to know today is it starts one child at a time. See, what if, what if Elijah, I don't think he knew exactly what he was doing. But God said, I want you to go back to this widow's house because this son needs the power of resurrection that I'm going to supply to you when you extend yourself. He didn't just extend one time or two times, but he extended three times. Legitimate fathers extend themselves for the next generation. But little did Elijah know that when he was resurrecting this one son from the dead, he was resurrecting a nation from the dead. He was resurrecting a nation from the dead. What if we, what if we had that in our mind and our hearts all the time? What if we got beyond our own kingdom, our own life, our own self-absorbed mentality? And what if we, every single child that we minister to, every single person that we minister to, our own children, our own house, what if we knew that God had something greater than just for their life? What if they're called, actually called to be a nation shaker? Come on, this is how we have to think in here. This is how we have to live our lives in here. It's not just about the one, it's about the nation that that one is going to impact. Hey, Amanda, do you have that, um, do you have that, that prayer card? Can you put that up there if you have it? You have, it? Yes. All right, guess what this is. This is Billy Graham's decision card. Billy Graham got born again on November, 4, uh, November 1st, 1934. He was actually at a revival by the name of Dr. Mordecai Ham, And he didn't just give his life to Jesus on the first night, but he was really suspect. He was suspicious at this preaching. And he went night after night after night to this revival, and it was one night that he talks about in his autobiography that his heart was about to come out of his chest, and he went up front, but see, what I find fascinating about this story, yes, Dr. Mordecai Ham was preaching the revival at that tent that one night in Charlotte, North Carolina, but what I want to give notice to and accolades to is the counselor that's not even listed on this prayer card. He talks about a prayer counselor, a nameless person that comes up at the altar and prays with him that night. And see, just stay with me for a little bit. Just, just entertain me for a little bit. If we really do have rewards in heaven based upon everyone that we share the gospel with, if we really do have Jewels in our crown, if that's not just symbolic or if that's just something that we've made up. But what if we do, if we really are going to get rewards at the judgment seat of Christ for the good works we've done as a believer in Jesus? My question is, is yes, Billy Graham saved possibly four, five million people. But I wonder if that one nameless prayer counselor that took the time to pour in to one man from the next generation, if she or he has credit for four million or five million plus one. That's right. That's right. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see how Elijah took out his time and when he prayed for one boy and extended himself three times on the next generation that he was resurrecting a nation from the dead? And this nameless counselor that led Billy Graham at the altar in Charlotte, North Carolina, that one night that he or she was also resurrecting a what? A nation from the dead. Come on. We have to realize how important we are for the next generation. It's not about us. It's not about us. God is always thinking three to four generations ahead. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am, yes, I'm even the God of Jacob. You want to know why God describes himself as the God of Jacob? Because he said, I know Abraham messed up a little bit and Isaac was really good, but Jacob was jacked up and he was a deceiver. Yes, I am the God of the generation that you don't get yet. Come on. All right, let's keep going. Are y'all with me this morning? You're with me this morning. Okay. Let's go over to Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. This is possibly my favorite scripture in the entirety of the Bible. Humor me and go back to verse 5. Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Wait, wait now, hold on just a second. This is written 400 years after Elijah died. What's God talking about here? Elijah was a ninth century prophet to Israel, but then Malachi is the last minor prophet of the Old Testament canon, which was around 400 B.C., but yet, look what it says in verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Look what he says. And he will turn the heart, we'll say heart. Of the father to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What should shake us And perhaps even disturb us is the last thing that God speaks for 400 years is curse. This is the last thing God said. And then what we have is called the intertestament period where God was silent. There was nothing written in the Old Testament canon. It was closed. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. We're going to look at him in a little bit. But let's look and let's glean from this scripture. I find it very disturbing that the last thing God speaks is curse. We have to pay attention to this stuff. He said, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. And he will turn the heart of the fathers to the sons and the heart of the sons to the fathers lest I come. And I looked at that word, that Hebrew word come, watch. It's, It's an action word so it could actually mean, it could mean come or it could mean go or leave. So I believe what God is saying in this text is if you don't want to reconcile generationally If you don't want to invest in the next generation and you don't want my heart as a father on your generation to the lower generation, the younger generation, then I'm going to take a step back and then you guys are going to deal with the curse of my absence because you refuse to father. I want to propose to you, we're seeing the curse all around us right now. You want to know what abortion is? It's the curse of fatherlessness. Do you, okay, I'm not, okay. You want to know what burning cities in America is right now? It's the curse of fatherlessness. You know what lawlessness is? It's the curse of fatherlessness because they didn't have a daddy to correct and discipline them when they were a child. And we as the church we being a good neighbor it starts in our home yes but we also have to go beyond our home you're going to you're going to hear about this next week or the week after we got to go beyond our home and we have to look And we have to see what families need us as fathers so we can step in and we can extend ourselves like Elijah did over the generation before us and we can resurrect them because what if the state of the nation is not just about us, but what if it's about them? Come on, come on. For you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you have not many fathers. You know what instructors means? It means boy leaders. We have a bunch of boy leaders pretending to be mature that don't have a relationship with God and they can't impart anything to the next generation, right? They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. All they can do is speak. They have no power to transform the people around them. But fathers of authentic, legitimate fathers rising up in this hour is what this generation needs. And I know this sounds so elementary and simple, but I believe we could solve America's problems by putting an authentic, legitimate mother and father in every home. Come on. I believe it. I believe it. Malachi 4.6 says, If you don't want me as father and you don't want spiritual fathers, your land is going to be cursed. We're seeing it, but there's hope. Say there's hope. hope. All right, go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. See how I'm making my way chronologically through the Bible, starting in the old, coming into the new. Let's look at the new. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Actually, let's look at verse 15. I keep doing that. Wherever I tell you to go, just go to the verse before it. How about that, all right? (laughs) This is talking about John the Baptist. Verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Look at this, verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17. Verse 17. And he will go before him in what? The spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Watch this. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. If that's not, we, if that's not what we need right now, then don't listen to anything I have to say for the rest of the message. What we need is we need a generation of disobedient, lawless Ones to turn to the wisdom of the just. This is what we need. So John the Baptist, it says, had the spirit and he had the power of Elijah upon his life. Now watch this. Go over to Matthew chapter three. Listen, we're getting our Bible reading in today. Is that cool? Is that cool? Come on. Matthew chapter three, verse 13. Matthew chapter three, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? I love this. John's like, no, 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 no. no! I had the revelation that you baptized with Holy Spirit and fire. And I need some of what you got. And you want me to dunk you underwater? Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him and said, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice, there it is, a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And see, what's interesting about this text is I always wondered what Jesus meant when he said, you have to let me do this to fulfill all righteousness. I get, I get John was a prophet. Jesus actually said there's been no one born of women greater than John the Baptist, lest he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater. I get that he said that. But did you know that John the Baptist was a Levite? Did we know that? And did we know that John the Baptist was actually the legal high priest? That's what Jesus was talking about in Luke. He says, look, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, you've killed all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah who was slain between the porch and the altar. He was talking about John the Baptist's father. That's why John the Baptist was in the wilderness because maybe he was was just trying to get away from the religious system that was trying to kill him. And Jesus, anything that God does, God does legally. God doesn't break his rules. And see, it was, it was a moment where sons got baptized in the tradition of their father. They would be baptized by their father and water to take up the trade of their father. But was, it was also a moment when, when rabbis at 30 years old would come under the waters and come out to be able to interpret the law. So Jesus was doing many things in this one moment, but just, just stay with me. Remember what John the Baptist had on his life. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So I, I, I'm just a little bit just caught off guard that Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father... Jesus Christ, the word that was made flesh, Jesus Christ, the one that came from heaven, lived and walked among us, went to a man and said, I need to come under you. So Jesus came under the person that had the spirit of Elijah on his life. Maybe we need to start coming under some people, right? Jesus came under a man. He went under the water. And then notice what happened next. He stood under an open heaven. He stood under an open heaven. God submitted to the spirit of Elijah while he was in the flesh. And when he came out of the water, he heard, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Maybe our identity is shaken as teenagers and maybe our identity is shaken as children because we don't have legitimate fathers with an open heaven that can impart identity in our lives. Come on. Jesus went under the spirit of Elijah and he walked under an open heaven. All right, let's make our way through the Bible. All right, Matthew chapter 17. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Look, I'm almost done. I just need 10 more minutes. Is that cool? Is that cool? Matthew chapter 17, verse 9. Elijah shows up. In chapter 17, at the Mount of Transfiguration, along with him and Moses, and they appear to Jesus. And uh, Peter, the guy that's always saying stupid stuff, is like, hey, why don't we build three churches? And God's like, uh, Jesus like, no, I don't want to build, we don't need to build three churches, you know? And God's actually like, hush, just listen to him. They're coming off the mountain. And in verse nine, this is what it said. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one this vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? Listen to what he says. Verse 11. And he answered, Elijah does come or will come or shall come, same word, and he will restore all things. That word is present in perfect tense in the original language. So literally what it means is Elijah is here and Elijah's coming. Gosh, Elijah's here and Elijah's coming, and he will restore all things. Verse 12, watch this. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at the ha- their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So watch this Elijah came in Kings, we read about it. He performed miracles, he passed on his mantle. And then in Malachi, God said, no, 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 I, I know I've, I've taken him up to heaven, and maybe that's why he never died, because of spirit stone operation, right? Uh-oh. Right, Malachi chapter 4, 6 says, yeah, he's coming. He came on John the Baptist, right? Watch this. He came on John the Baptist before the first coming of Jesus. Do you see this? It's prophesied in Isaiah that I'm going to send you a voice that cries out in the wilderness. Elijah had a voice. John the Baptist has a voice, right? And we're going to have a voice, right? So watch this. Watch this. Stay with me. You don't miss this. So Elijah came on John the Baptist before the first coming of Jesus. And the spirit of Elijah is coming on a generation before the second coming of Jesus. Come on. Watch, watch what it says, though. It says, he will come. Was that me? Was that, was that me? Was that me? Was that me? I'm not. God's either like, you preach your boy, you're wrong, so be quiet. <laughs> watch this. Elijah does come and he will restore all things. I'm almost done. Re- repeat after me. Say, he will. He will restore. restore all, things. all things. What does all things mean? All things. Do you see this is the issue right now? If we need restoration in our homes and we need restoration in our cities and we need restoration in our nation and we need restoration in our world, Jesus has given us the answer. He says, Elijah's coming and we'll restore all things. Now watch this. I'm going to mess with some of y'all's eschatology. I love Pastor Tom's teaching on Wednesday because he's messing with all of us. I just love it. Watch this. I'm going to mess with you guys even more. Go to Acts chapter 3. Go to Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Watch this. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Peter is preaching here. Listen to what he says. He's talking about Jesus. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. It says, whom heaven must receive until the time for what? Uh Uh-oh. Restoring of what? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There's a problem here. There's a problem here. It says, heaven must receive Jesus until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So, stay with me. We're always waiting on God to come back, but what if he's waiting on us? And see, how far do I want to go with this? It seems like every generation that has a war, has a pestilence, has a plague, has something cataclysmic happen, they all start talking about the rapture. Rapture is a concept that's only been around for 150 years. Did you know that? None of the church fathers taught it. So God provides a way through the Red Sea God provides a way through the plagues. God provides a way through the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter four. Uh Uh-oh. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Our God is not an escapist God. Our God, Yahweh, is strong and he's a warrior. What does that make his people? We are a perseverant people. We are a perseverant people. We are a people that will not be shaken. We are more than conquerors. We are not weak and we are not anemic and we do not need an escape plan. Listen, we were created for this earth to redeem this earth. That's why Romans chapter 8 says all of creation groans waiting for what? The manifestation of the sons of God. It doesn't say the son of God. It says you and me. It says they're waiting for us to take our place to redeem humanity. This is what Acts is talking about. It's saying that Jesus is literally in heaven waiting for the restoration of all all things i'm not i'm not saying it's going to be perfect but i'm saying i believe that he's waiting on us to take our place to make our families whole and then make our cities whole and then make our nations whole and then he goes hey dad their earth looks like heaven you want to get want to go back down there you want to go down there right and then we see the consummation of two worlds becoming one i know this messes with some of us but that's cool All for Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, the prophet at New Hope. Amen. Amen? What am I saying this morning? What I'm saying is it starts in the home. It starts with legitimate fathers and mothers taking the time for their children and for the next generation. And I believe sometimes especially in a, that's not me, I promise. Especially in a time of distraction, in a time where our world is moving so fast and we live in a consumer culture and we need more and more and more and we put our IRAs first, our 401ks first and our college, and our kids' college tuition first and all those can be good in themselves. But I'm telling you, Your kids are not, when they're 15 years old, asking you how much money they have for college. They're asking you if dad would go outside to throw the football with me. They're asking if mom will take me and teach me how to apply makeup correctly. I don't know. I'm I'm a father. I'm trying to figure out what, what my daughters will ask my wife when they're a little bit older. You understand what I'm saying, though? Come on. And see, Elijah, he was kind of the blueprint. He was the prototype. And he went, his first miracle was a miracle of provision. And his second miracle was a, was a, was a miracle of resurrection. And God says, I love this prophet so much. I love his father's heart. You know what? I'm going to allow the spirit and the character on him to remain. Malachi says, we need this. So we're not living in a cursed land. We need reconciliation between two generations. You know what happened in Acts chapter 2? Peter quotes Joel and says, this it's what's happening. Young men shall what? See and old men shall dream. We've heard Pastor Tom preach it. He says, we're never too young to see, never too old to dream. But I want to take that a step further. What if our younger generation cried out and said, tell us what you've been dreaming about and we will see those things come to pass. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.